Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Christmas is in the air, so turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, 19 to verse 34. Uh, We're going to kick off our Christmas sermon series, and the sermon series is called Behold. Uh, I don't know how much you know about the Bible. The Bible is not primarily a book full of commands, although it does have some commands in it. And I find no command to be as freeing and as beautiful as the command to behold. To behold what? Whom? To behold Jesus. To look at Jesus and get lost in your gaze of Jesus. Who He is, what He has done for us uh, on the cross. And Christmas time is a perfect Uh, opportunity for us to focus our attention on Jesus who put on flesh and blood to come and to save us. But first, a question. Look at your own heart. Be honest with yourself right now. As you come into the Christmas season, is your heart, is your gaze fixed on Jesus? Full disclosure, mine is not. Um, I have a million things happening in my head right now, all sorts of things going on. And and yes, Jesus, his beauty, his person, his work is there, but it's kind of vaguely there in the background for me. And in that way, I am failing the chicken test. Uh, The chicken test is a video I'm going to show you in just a second. What you're about to see is a group of uh, cadets, a group of like uh, up-and-coming police officers at a police academy, and they've been tasked with focusing their gaze straight ahead. Don't laugh, don't smile, don't flinch as they undergo the chicken test. Drop. <laughs> our heads right now as we come into Christmas, isn't there? A lot of good stuff, a lot of exciting stuff, uh, a lot of exhausting stuff or anxious stuff. And this Christmas, the call is to behold Jesus, to just look at Him, and to get lost in our gaze, remembering all He has done for us. This morning, actually, in our passage, John the Baptist passes the chicken test for us. 
And he gives us the two keys to passing the chicken test, to be holding Jesus, focusing on him. And it's this, it's humility and beauty. So listen for those as I read our passage, John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Would you stand as I read God's word, please? And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked them, then why are you baptizing if you were neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Please be seated. Lord, this morning there's so much that would distract us from your word and from being impacted by it. We pray that by your Spirit you would move that stuff aside that we would be able to fix our gaze right now on Jesus and to experience his grace in a way that impacts our lives and every part of our world. Would you please do that by your spirit in the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. All right, if we're going to pass the chicken test, if we're going to be focused uniquely on Jesus, then we're going to need hearts that are full of humility. This is what I mean, okay? I want to set the scene for the passage I just read. Um, in those days, hashtag who is Jesus was not trending on Twitter. In those days, hashtag who is John the Baptist was actually trending on Twitter. Everybody was wondering who is this guy, this kind of weird guy who's baptizing multitudes and calling people to repent Who is this guy who wears a camel hair jacket and eats things like locust and honey? Like, what's up with this guy? I mean, aside from his, his dietary choices and his wardrobe, we sense that there is something special, something unique about him and his movement in the mission of God, but we can't quite put our finger on it. Who is John the Baptist. He was trending enough that Jerusalem, you know, the big wigs over there, sent some people to John the Baptist to get some information. They need to investigate. They needed an official stance 
on John the Baptist. But we learned pretty quickly they weren't just interested in PR. They were actually interested in answers. In fact, they were interested in the answer. And so they come wondering, could it be that this guy, John the Baptist, is the Christ? Could it be that this guy, John the Baptist, is the Messiah, the hoped-for one, the answer to all of our problems? They would have said it this way. Could it be that this is the guy, the political leader, who's going to finally unite Israel and overthrow our Roman oppressors and make Israel the greatest nation in the world? Is that who he is? Because if that's who he is, we've got to get behind him, and we want him on our team, and we're going to resource him for this coming revolution. Is he the Christ in that way? But even that view of the Christ was too narrow. It was too local. It was too politicized. John the Baptist knew who the Christ was. He knew what the Christ would be about. He had read Isaiah chapter 9, for example, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. John the Baptist knew that passage. John the Baptist knew that the Christ was not just a political leader who was going to come and beat up the Romans and rescue God's people from political oppression. John the Baptist knew that the Christ was going to be the one who comes to rescue God's people from our brokenness. He's going to be the one that comes to restore shalom, to restore man's broken relationship with God himself, a holy God, to restore peace itself on the earth, to restore the creation itself. The Messiah, the Christ, was going to come and reverse all of the effects of the fall. The Christ is God's unique answer to all of the problems in our hearts and in our world. And they came asking, John, is that who you are? Are you the Christ? Now I want to pause the narrative just for a second. And I want you to be really honest with yourself. We all want people to recognize us, don't we? Um, we all want people to celebrate us, right? I mean, we were born into families with the need to have our parents celebrate us, love us unconditionally. If we're really honest, we, we want people to actually not just celebrate us, but to adore us. And it would make us really, really happy if every time we walked into a room full of people, if people were whispering things like, have you met her? She is the most delightful person I have ever met. Have you listened to him? He is brilliant. He may be the most brilliant person I've ever met. That's what we want. All right, multiply that by a bazillion. John the Baptist had the moment right here to grab fame for himself, to be the most important person in Israel's history. 
John, who are you? Are you him? Are you the Christ? Verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. This is an emphatic no. Did you hear what he said? He confessed and he did not deny, but confessed. He's saying, heck, no, no way, absolutely not. Are you out of your mind? I am not the Christ. Well, okay, John, you're not the Christ. We get it. Are are you Elijah? Like, are you the guy, the big prophet who who didn't die but ascended directly to heaven, and we think maybe he's going to come back and restore all things at the consummation? Are, Are you that guy? No, I'm not that guy. Well, then maybe you're the great prophet, the one that Moses promised would come, a prophet like him, but, but greater. Are you that guy? And curiously, when you read the New Testament and even hear Jesus speak about John the Baptist, the answer to some of those questions is kind of yes. But John the Baptist said what? No. No. Then who are you? Verse 23. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Think about that with the opportunity to grab instant fame, to be the greatest person in Israel. John the Baptist calls himself a voice, a bodiless voice who is only here to do what? To point to the true Christ. That's humility. That is humility. That is humility that spills overflowing from the heart of Jesus himself, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be protected only for himself and never to let go. Rather, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. That is mind-blowing humility. You and I live in a world today where uh, we think that sort of humility is, is maybe more of a liability than anything else. If you're a humble person like that, you empty yourself of your power and your influence, maybe you're going to like lose yourself. The Bible actually says that there's great freedom to be our true selves when we embrace this sort of humility. That we are free to be our true selves when we can be honest with ourselves and the world around us and say clearly, unmistakably, I am not the Christ. I don't have to pretend to be the answer to my own problems or to your problems or to the problems of the world. I'm not that guy. I can't do it. I'm not the Christ. Uh, Baxley and I had a seminary professor who would do this exercise with us on occasion. So he's in front of a classroom of 100 future pastors, um, and he would say, hey, class, repeat after me. I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. No, class, with gusto, like, repeat after me. I am not the Christ. I am not the... No, like you really believe it. I am not the Christ. Okay, I am not the Christ. And I thought that was weird. 
But it was brilliant. It was brilliant. It has protected me over the years. It has freed me from being a slave to other people's problems. This is what I mean. I will often find myself like I imagine you find yourself as you love your neighbors and as you sit with your family members, sitting with people who have really hard things happening in their life. And in my mind, I'm thinking this, Andrew, you must help them. You have got to fix their problems. You have got to save their marriage. Andrew, you've got to do something. You've got to change their life right now. Like, Look at this. You've got to do this. Or look, bigger picture, hearing a voice in my head saying, Andrew, you've got to be an important person in the worldwide movement of God that impacts thousands of people. You've got to make this church like the greatest international church ever. You've got to do big things. All of that is saying what to me? Andrew, be the Christ. Be the one that fixes other people. Be the one who is the answer to your problems and to the problems of everyone else. And if we as a church listened to that, we would be in really big trouble. If I as a pastor listened to that voice, I wouldn't be a pastor for much longer. It would be crushing to me. And so on a weekly basis, in my head, I'm saying, hey, this is big, this is hard, but you're not the Christ, Andrew. You cannot be the Christ. I am not the Christ. And neither are you. Listen, Baxley and I, we love this church. We really do. We love serving as your pastor. We love you. This is a brilliant place to be. But you know what? One day, you are going to be fine without us. You really will. You'll be fine without us. And you'll be fine with whoever comes in and replaces us and does this job or some sort of spiritual leadership here without us. Because we are not the Christ. You actually have the Christ. You have Jesus. And he loves you. And he loves this church. We are not the answer. He is the answer. Now, I'm not saying that you and I cannot be helpful to other people or to hard things or to big problems in the world. We can absolutely be helpful, but we are only helpful in so much as we are able to say clearly to ourselves and everyone else around us, I'm not the Christ, and that our role is to point people to the real Christ, to point people to the answer. I am not the Christ. Oh, and by the way, that political party that you really, really like, not the Christ. That lifestyle that you think is going to make everything better, or that romantic relationship, or that person, or whatever it is, that thing, that body, also not the Christ, not the answer to all of your stuff. Our role must be to say the only answer to your problems and the problems of the world around us is Jesus Christ, the unique Christ. It's only Him. And that is real humility. When we're able to say, it's not me. Deflect the attention away from me. It's him. It has to be him. Behold the Christ. If we're going to pass the chicken test, we've got to do that. We have to be humble people. But we also have to be a people who are captivated by real beauty. We need beauty. We need hearts that look at Jesus and are just overwhelmed 
by how beautiful he is. The problem in our hearts and all of the problems in our world, I think, can be traced back to this. That we have found other things more beautiful than Jesus. The 17th century poet John Milton imagined it this way in Paradise Lost. You and I were made to enjoy God, to be overwhelmed and captivated by the beauty of God, but we, in the garden, were captivated by the beauty of another. Specifically, Milton would say, by the beauty of ourselves. And so he sets up this scenario. Before Eve ate the forbidden fruit, Milton imagines her walking over to the shore of a glassy, smooth lake, and she gazes into the water. And this is what she says. As I bent down to look, just opposite, a shape within the watery gleam appeared, bending to look on me. I started back. It started back. But pleased, I soon returned. Pleased, it returned as soon with answering looks of sympathy and love. There I had fixed mine eyes till now and pined with vain desire. What happened to her? She fell in love with herself. She was captivated by her own beauty, the way that you and I are often captivated with ourselves and with lesser beauties. Theologian Michael Reeves writes that you and I are made in the image of God. We really are. And one of the things that means is that we were made to gaze upon the beauty of another, to experience and delight in beauty that is outside of ourselves. Like, he writes, God the Father has always looked outward to the Son, and vice versa, the way the Son has always looked outward to the Father to delight in the beauty of the other. Not in our own beauty. We were made to gaze upon the beauty of another. Ultimately, to gaze upon the beauty of Christ, which is captivating when we really see it and experience it. One of the things that you can't pick up on in the English a translation of this is the way John the Baptist clearly communicates, I am not the Christ. Uh, when you look at the Greek, actually there's this cool thing. He puts the emphasis on the I in such a way as to say this, all right? See if you can pick it up, okay? The difference between these two ways of saying it. I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Do you see that? The second kind of makes you want to lean in, right? Like, oh, really? Because you're saying, I am not the Christ, but I know who is. Who is it? John, who is the Christ? Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I am not the Christ, but he is. He is. Do you see his beauty? I want to make it all the more beautiful. Think about it this way. There are some theologians, some experts in the Gospel of John who think that this event 
happened about the time that the Jews were preparing for the Passover. Okay, so frame it this way. It meant that in those days, it would have been very common for flocks of lambs, spotless lambs, uh, to be herded toward Jerusalem, to be used in the Passover sacrifice. And they would have passed right by this spot on the Jordan River. And so there you sit as one of John's followers, listening to him teach, watching him baptize, and it's Passover time. And so your mind can't help but think about that great moment in history, the history of God's people, when your family was delivered from slavery from the Egyptians. And God's judgment actually came and, was, and, 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 and hit the Egyptians, but it passed over you and the rest of your family. Why? Because of the blood of the spotless lamb it was on your doorposts. And so there you are, captivated by this scene, watching the lambs, Uh, go by being reminded of the Passover. And as all the young spotless lambs pass by, John the Baptist points to a man who is approaching, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the real Lamb. All of those cute, innocent lambs that are headed for slaughter in Jerusalem are pointing to Him, the sea of beautifully white innocence. In that sea stood out Jesus, the true innocent one who was headed for slaughter on the cross to pay for our sins. Those lambs can't pay for sins. Lambs will have to make that trip every single year, but not the Lamb of God, not the true Lamb of God. He dies once and for all to take away the sins of the world. To take away your sins. To take away my sins. Because he loves us. My wife reminded me of this uh, this week as we're decorating for Christmas. That when we were young, married people, uh, I took her to New York City. uh, First time at Christmas. And if you ever go to New York City at Christmas, it's magical, but you have to go and see uh, the Rockefeller Center and the gigantic Christmas tree that they have in front of the Rockefeller Center. It's huge. I have no idea how much taller than our roof uh, it is here, but it's stunning. So we round the corner, and my wife is a total Christmas junkie. She loves Christmas. Um, We round the corner, she sees this tree, and she's just frozen by its grandeur, by its beauty. To the point that now every other Christmas tree, as delightful and as beautiful as it is, is a picture of that more beautiful tree, that more beautiful experience. Nothing will be as beautiful as that. And so it is with the beauty of Christ. Listen, our world is full of beauty, so full of beauty. And you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, should go on a quest to look at it all, to experience it all. But as you do, you do it this way. This is beautiful, but it is nothing like the beauty of Jesus. In fact, when you find yourself in a relationship with someone and and they love you in an unselfish way, an unconditional way, they put your needs ahead of their own needs, you should feel, wow, this is beautiful. But you know what? It is nothing compared to the real beauty 
of Jesus. Or when you find yourself lost in nature, overwhelmed by its beauty, this is beautiful, but it is nothing like the beauty of Jesus. Last week when I was in Paris, I was in a museum, and one of my favorite artists is Monet. And in this particular room, it was wall-to-wall paintings, almost a room as big as our sanctuary, wall-to-wall of water lilies. It was overwhelmingly beautiful, but not as beautiful as Jesus. All little bee beauty in our world points to the big bee beauty of Jesus. Go find it and behold him in the process. Since my wife was a Christmas junkie, it meant that uh, we got married a couple days after Christmas, in large part because the sanctuary of the church was still decorated beautifully like this. Uh, only this was in the U.S., so you had real Christmas trees. And we probably had 20 or 40 Christmas trees in that room. It lined the room, and the lights were dim. It was evening. And uh, I just remember standing up there. I'll never forget the moment. Standing up there as some utterly brilliant musicians were pounding on the dulcimer and on the piano. Pastor stands next to me, and all of a sudden his voice his voice booms out over the sound system. And he says, behold your bride. And with that, I looked in the back of the room and the doors opened and the light poured through. Everybody stood up on their feet and all of our eyes were fixed on this beautiful woman dressed in white with flowers in her hair. It was overwhelming. It was beautiful. It too points to the beauty of Christ, only it adds this layer. It adds a motivation for why we look at Jesus and admire his beauty. Because the way I looked at my bride that day is the way Jesus looks at you and me. The church, his bride. Even when we're not beautiful, even when we're not humble, Jesus looks at us and loves us. In other words, we behold Jesus because he beheld us in salvation history. He said, I want you to be mine. Behold the Lamb of God who took away our sins and gave us freely without cost his beauty. So this Christmas, people, let's behold. Let's behold Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, would you help us with this task? We are so distracted. Uh, We are so overwhelmed with good things and bad things that we forget to look at Jesus and enjoy him. But we ask this Christmas by your spirit that you would give us a unique focus on him, his beauty, his grace, his love for people like us. Would you please do that by your spirit? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.